somewhere between sleeping and waking. On our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment when we have one foot in the waking world and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here and straddled between two planets that spin against each other like gears, an attentive traveller will see a narrow door only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, a tumbling cascade of imagination and reality, a fault line in the tectonic crust of consciousness where volcanoes erupt the hot pumice of images and the languid ooze of narrative. Welcome to Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a fortnightly podcast of fairy tales for all ages from bordersofsleep.com, featuring original stories by your host Seymour Jacklin. Visit bordersofsleep.com to find out more. So, if you're ready to travel with me, then I shall begin. The Trespassers by Seymour Jacklin The carriage left the party no earlier than one o'clock in the morning. Viscount Nicholas had begun to make noises about leaving just after the clock had made twelve sharp, clanging noises about it being midnight. But it took all of an hour to extract Lady Clara from the company of other guests whom the wine had made so charming to her. Thelonius, the young student who was to ride with them back to Osteopolis, had followed him about like a shadow until he'd sent him to find the driver to bring the carriage round. He'd been clearly bored with the festivities being a great deal younger than most of the guests, and perhaps not especially stimulated by their ignorance of modern literature. So it came to be, under the full moonlight, shortly before the first hour of the new day was marked by a single chime of the clock, that four horses stood and clopped restlessly in front of the dark carriage, while the Viscount helped Lady Clara up into it and Thelonius followed. Up at the front was a spectacularly whiskered and weathered driver, who had been known as Crumb for as long as the Viscount could remember. Lady Clara settled into the front-facing seat. "'Let there be no delay,' the Viscount said to Crumb. "'I'd prefer to be home by daybreak and see to it that you don't get lost.' He swung himself in and sat down beside Thelonius, facing backwards and facing Lady Clara. Without seeming to move a single muscle, Crum indicated to the horses that they should go, and they set off down the drive at a smart trot. To say that they entered the forest would not be strictly accurate, for although they were quickly swallowed in the moonshade of the trees, in these parts one was never out of the forest. Human habitations, including the house they were leaving and the city to which they were bound, were mere islands of order in the midst of one great forest that cloaked the mountains to the north and teetered to the rocky coast of the south, being boundaried to the east by a high steppe and to the west by a low plain, and covering an area of some 3,000 square miles. The carriage plunged and bounced away into the darkness, and all sight and sound of it was quickly engulfed. Although the forest track was rough, the springs that held the cab took the anger out of the ruts and sublimated a sleepy rocking motion to the passengers. Inside the cab, a constant flickering of grey moonlight played its own cold dance over the faces of the passengers, and silence crept between them like spilled ink, each of them withdrawing into themselves to keep drowsy watch over the memory 
of the hearth that they had left behind. Lady Clara's head tilted back and her mouth opened in sleep. The Viscount too closed his eyes and only Thelonius stayed alert and his eyes moved in thought. Now, even in daylight, there were parts of the forest that were so dense that night clung on. Shadows that never migrated over the western horizon at dawn, but waited until the moon's ascent grew hungry. When darkness came, they were loosed again to stalk at will through the trees as if the whole forest belonged to them, for this was their time. As for these strangers in their hurtling wooden box, they had no knowledge of the language of the trees, and they could not hear in the dragging current of the hurrying clouds the pines began to whisper. Trespasses. Trespasses. The whisper spread from tree to tree and tore through the thickets like wildfire. Trespasses. Trespasses. Until the whole forest shifted with a sound like a boiling ocean. Under the sharp shifting outlines of moonlit pines and between the grey flanks of bark a host of shadows were falling softly in step with one another. Thelonius leant across to the Viscount and said in a low voice so as not to alarm Lady Clara. Did you hear that? Nicholas opened his eyes. What? he asked dreamily. I think I heard a moaning sound out there. It's probably just a lonely wolf, my boy. The words fell onto the dark floor of the carriage and slipped away like smoke. And just as the silence began to coil around them again, there came a long, wavering howl, clear and unmistakable, some way behind them. A wolf, confirmed the Viscount, and settled back, resting his hands on the top of his cane and pulling it close to his chest. I'm going to sit up front with Crum, said Thelonius. Get some fresh air. You'll find he has few words, said the Count, hardly moving his mouth. But Thelonius opened the door and nimbly swung himself out onto the transom and up onto the driver's seat where Crum was huddled like a stone troll. The Viscount wondered to himself why the educated youngsters seemed to prefer the company of the peasants and servants to gentlefolk these days. There were no lights inside the cab, but on either side of the driver's seat a couple of lamps glimmered ineffectually. As Thelonius's eyes adjusted he could see the track ahead easily enough in the moonlight, streaked with the shadows of ruts below and trees above. "'Did you hear that wolf?' he asked the old man. Crum looked at him and nodded, his eyes just visible above his turned-up collar. Thelonius thought he saw a light in them, not a good light, but a spark of fear. As if in answer to him, the howl came again from behind them, and then they heard another, replying, further off, and then another, closer, perhaps, or was that the same as the first one? What do they hunt for in these parts? asked Thelonius, trying to keep a conversational tone to his voice. Again, Crom didn't answer, but cracked his whip at the horses to make them run faster. And the howling broke out behind them, a chorus from open throats like a horrible discord on a gigantic organ somewhere behind them in the Cathedral of the Forest. Do you think they're coming after us? asked Thelonius, unable to keep the panic from his voice. 
Suddenly he wished he could swap his entire library of learning for a very fast horse and a good saddle. His mind worked quickly. He pushed open the front curtain and called to the Viscount inside the cab. I, I think we're being pursued. He spoke over Nicholas's shoulder. Lady Clara was looking at him and blinking as if she was trying to understand where she was. She turned in her seat and pulled aside the curtain behind her, looking back down the track, and then her hands went to her face and she looked back at them, her eyes and mouth wide in a silent scream. Thelonius put his head up and over the top of the cab and looked back. A boiling mass of ragged shadows could be seen darkening the track behind them, and he had the ghastly impression of a hundred yellow eyes and a thousand glinting teeth. The Viscount was suddenly authoritative. "'We'll have to let one of the horses go,' he shouted. "'But that's madness!' called Thelonius back to him. "'It's the only thing we can do if we want to come out alive,' said Nicholas." I know someone who did it before. Quickly, tell Crumb to loose one of the horses. The wolves will take it and we'll come out alive. He wants you to loose one of the horses, Thelonius conveyed to Crumb, now shouting. The baying of the wolves was now so close behind that he dared not look. Crumb deftly unshackled a harness from the dash, and one of the horses peeled off to one side, suddenly loose. It reared up and wheeled to the right, crashing its hooves down into the thicket by the side of the track. The carriage whipped past it as it reared a second time, suddenly abandoned. That was when Thelonius saw a shadow already hanging on to its neck. The baying of the wolves intensified as they overwhelmed the horse but quickly faded behind them, and the steady rock and creak of the cab and the tattoo of the hooves on the track settled once again over the party. Thelonius noticed no slacking in their speed for the loss of one horse, and he let himself gasp twice and deeply with relief. And so they plunged on, hurling themselves towards daybreak and the safety of Osteopolis with a story to tell for sure. Lady Clara could not settle, however. She reached behind her to peer through the curtain and stare back down the track, whimpering at every shadow she could see. Trespasses! Trespasses! whispered the trees, and then almost inaudible enough to be mistaken for a trick of their imagination, the sound of howling drifted once again down the track. And again, seeming closer. God forbid that they are still hungry. The Viscount stared straight ahead of him. Lady Clara knelt up on the seat and looked out behind them. I can see them, she gasped and slumped back into the seat, covering her face with her hands again. They're coming after us. Thelonius' head popped through the other curtain. I think they're on to us again, he said. We'll wait and see, replied the Viscount, but they didn't wait for long. For seconds later, the sound of the wolf pack erupted behind them again, and they looked at one another, finding no comfort in each other's faces. In those moments, Thelonius wrestled with an intrusive awareness of his own bones how white and fragile they felt to him, and how willingly he would have exchanged all his learning for a blunderbuss, and the powers of a marksman. The wolves were close, close enough to hear the sound of their paws and panting mouths. The Viscount gave an order for another of the horses to be dispatched. How much further do we have to go? Thelonius shouted to Crum. Crum looked up at the moon as if to take his bearings and shook his head. At least two hours before daylight, master! 
They were the only words he had spoken since they had left the party. As he leant forward to unshackle another horse, Thelonious caught sight of Crumb's mouth set in a hard pout, grim and tired. The horse, suddenly freed from under the whip, shied to the left and then stood rigid, panting with exhaustion and awaiting its fate. Thelonious covered his ears as the sound of the baying of the wolves and the neighing of the horse fainted behind them. Crumb allowed the two remaining and rapidly tiring horses to slow down to a trot. Viscount, whispered Lady Clara, do you know how to use that sword, and will it be any use? The Viscount tried to sound reassuring, moulding the words from his last scrap of hope. I'm sure that the two horses is enough for a pack of wolves for a week. They won't trouble us again, he said. But how wrong he was. For presently the sound of the pack arose again behind them. Lady Clara closed her eyes and began to pray, her lips moving silently, crying out to the Mother of God to call upon the Son of God to plead with the Father for deliverance. But the only face that seemed to regard them from above was the white moon, whose true name nobody knows that they might call out to it, and whose influence is concerned with the tides of oceans and not with men. Crumb shouted and urged the two horses back up to speed, but they were not going to outrun the fury that was on their heels. Behind them the dark body of the wolf pack was growing, joined by others steadily streaming from between the trees and swelling up the track like a tidal bore. Crumb did not wait for the inevitable order, but loosed another horse into the jaws of the pursuit. The last remaining horse bore them on, running for its own life as much as theirs, but struggling to get any traction with its hooves and slipping and staggering as it went. The carriage was off balance now and seemed to be leaning and crabbing sideways up the track. Thelonious peered forwards and upwards, desperate to glimpse a hint of daylight in the sky, but the darkness only seemed to thicken as the moon went behind a continuous grey veil of cloud. Before long, the inevitable sounds of pursuit were once again upon them. The carriage, slewing crazily from side to side on the track, bounced into a pothole and something snapped so that every single jolt was felt. One of the lanterns was flung from its bracket. Thelonious saw it bounce behind them, spilling its fuel, and the track behind them burst into flame. For a moment the forest was lit like a subterranean tunnel, and another species of shadow played above them. Thelonius pulled the other lantern out and threw it behind them, releasing another wall of flames between them and the hunters, and daring to let out a whoop of triumph. But on they came, their terrifying silhouettes outlined in brimstone, as if hell itself had opened to let them out, and in a moment the snarling pack overwhelmed them like a burst dam, and before, as Homer would say, the night drew down over his eyes. Thelonious felt himself being flung from the carriage into a sea of tearing teeth. Today, if you pass that way and look carefully, you will see a rusting carriage wheel lying in the ditch, overgrown with brambles, and you may hear the trees above you whispering, Trespassers, trespassers. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Stories from the Borders of Sleep. If you're interested in the music, it's available from magnatune.com and we were using Robert Rich's Cowell Theatre album and another album called Hymns of the All Night Vigil by the Kiev Chamber Choir. You can visit the website for this podcast at bordersofsleep.com. That's the place to get more episodes and to leave feedback if you want to. I want to particularly thank my sound engineer for this week's episode. Uh, I've done a sterling job on the noises and stuff. Um, that's Tim Wiles. And, uh, you know, we'd really love to get some feedback on the website from our listeners. We know the uh, podcast getting plenty of downloads, but we just... Who's out there? Um, if you can take the time to just stop by and give us some feedback, that would be much appreciated. And, uh, well, we look forward to hearing from you and uh, look forward to broadcasting again in a couple of weeks' time. Until then, sweet dreams. <laughs>